It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. This is BC Radio Live with Philip and Eric. Live online at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. Aloha. Tonight on BC Radio Live, we are going to hear from blues rock band, Stealing James. We will also talk to David Borgman, the co-author of The Worst Speech Scenario Almanac, Politics. Before that, we will speak with Karen Abbott, author of Sin in the Sex City. But first up, we'll chat with the authors of Eat, Shrink, and Be Merry, Janet and Greta Potter. Today is Wednesday, August 18th, this is an Olympic edition of Eat Radio Live. The chat room is now open at blogtalkradio.com slash radio, and live video is now running, demonstrating wonders around the world. I am Philip Lynn, Chief Button Pusher for BC Radio Live and Chief Geek at BC Magazine, and I am joined tonight with about five seconds to go before airtime. Ha oh, it was Eric- 17. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. By Eric Olson, uh, BC Magazine's founder and publisher. And Greetings. Also- I distinctly also- heard the British woman say 17 seconds. Okay, well, I guess uh, a few seconds later before you showed up on the, uh, the switchboard. And uh, Lisa McKay is also here. She is BC Magazine's executive editor. Welcome, Lisa. Good evening. And for the record, Lisa was here like five minutes early, so that's that's excellent. Lisa chatted up a storm last week. Very until, good. Yes, until, I, until I shut her out by blabbing endlessly. <laughs> you know, that doesn't surprise me, but uh, Lisa chatting up a storm. I, I have not yet had a chance to listen to last week's show, which I missed, so... Thank you to whomever works the switchboard in my absence. Was that Dawn again? No, no, I'm uh, I'm, I'm I'm manning the wheels. No, I, yeah, I had to run it today too at um, at three when speaking with Klaus yeah. Floride, now ex of the dead Kennedys. Right, right. Yeah, I saw the email. Uh, the email go out. Uh, quite a quite a high profile interview there. Congratulations. How was well, that? Well, at least medium interview. Oh, it was great. He's you know he's a real funny guy and very low key and. Very, very eclectic musical tastes. I mean, certainly not your image of a, of a raving punk star. Of course, you know right. he's he's a little bit older now, too. You know, I I hadn't realized uh, he's almost ten years older than I am. So you can figure out what that means. Wow. But, yeah. I mean, you know, he was. In other words, he was in his thirties when he got when he got started. You know. Right. And I, uh, I haven't listened to the Dead Kennedys in. Oh, quite a few years. I'm, I guess uh, should I be ashamed to say that? No, I just I, I guess I've outgrown them. Maybe he has too. <laughs> uh, well, I, no, I wouldn't say that. He'd say he he's got a medical condition and he can't really tour. Is is essentially what it is. And uh, stress and fatigue bring out a a, uh, a subcutaneous hives condition. I can't. I can't, I can't believe I remember that. Uh, and and wow. you know what, what is what is going on the road, especially in the dead Kennedys, if not stress and fatigue, 
inducing. <laughs> so that's his problem. But he's playing with a bunch of other bands. He's always been very eclectic. I I really loved his. Uh, I guess he's got three or four solo albums, and I only had one of them. But I really loved that one. It came out in the early '90s. Very broad and eclectic and strange. A lot of um, soundscape kind of stuff. What we'd call probably ambient now. Sure. And uh, real interesting stuff. His his original love was surf music, so he's ah. um, he he's, he returns to that now and then. Very eclectic. He's all over the place. Very real interesting guy. It was it was a lot of fun. Well, I've listened to surf music a lot more recently than I've listened to the Dead Kennedys. So, oh, I put on that greatest hits uh, pretty often. You know that that one. It it is chock full o hits, and and they were one of my. True. Early favorites uh, on on the punk scene, certainly the West Coast punk scene, and they're still among the, you know, the most interesting and melodic without losing, without becoming emo. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was great. It was a lot of fun. But man, we got a jam packed show tonight. I hope I, I was hoping to hear the only one I don't have a confirmation on, and I've I've learned uh, that that's fairly important is uh, is the band Stealing Jane. So. We'll, we'll see, but of course well, we we're, have, we we're always fine with three rather than four segs. We have a few people piled up on the switchboard right now, and I'm well, I'd to... get to them rather than me blabbing on about Klaus. I, I'm not sure whether these are people calling in to talk to Janet and Greta, or whether um, all well, three they're of our Canadian. They're going to be here all uh, all evening. So. They are Canadian. I, I know who they are. Um, so yeah, let's just get right to it. Uh, I've, uh, by the way, quick technical note, uh, Eric and Lisa, I've been uh, decided to start introducing each and every individual segment with a little blurb for BC Radio Live, so that we might later in the future slice and dice an hour-long show up into four segments if needed. That's a that's a good idea, actually. Well, while we were out, uh, well, you were there. I, yep. <laughs> I, yeah, I was going to say, were, hey, uh, oh wait, there. you were there. You were there. Yeah, that was a good, real good idea that uh, a few of our friends at the dinner table had. Um, as far as moving forward, I think I think there's some some real good thinking there and some things we can do moving forward. They were talking about like minute segments. I don't think we're going to get like that, but no, no, no. Certainly, we, fifteen we, is fine. I think. You, you talk way too much for minute segments. So. <laughs> but I can talk about right, well, too. There you go. This is BC Radio Live, live every week at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. And co-hosting with Eric and Lisa, I'm Philip. Our first guests are sisters, Janet and Greta, and you might know them from their Crazy Plates meal kits. But tonight they're here to talk with us about their new cookbook, Eat, Shrink, and Be Merry. Their website has the same name, eatshrinkandbemerry.com, all one word. And welcome to BC Radio Live. Hi there. Hello. Hey, you know what's the most shocking about all of this, all the research and going through the book and reading everything and, and, and all that? You know, you know what has pummeled me about the face and head? <laughs> Do Ladies, I had no that? idea there were attractive women in Canada. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, hey, now, my be- wife's Canadian. We even have a bit of a Polish heritage to go with the Canadians, so imagine. I just imagine. Well, that that doesn't trouble me. I'm in the Cleveland area, and we are inundated with the Polishness, and there's plenty of attractive women <laughs> don't around worry, here. There's no Polish recipes in the cookbook. We don't do pierogies and sauerkraut and all that. <laughs> Good, because I don't either. Good. <laughs> I never venture to the west side and go to Parma, where all the Polish people are. And all. So you're not holding this Canadian thing against us, I hope. Did you really just say against? I did. That was cool. <laughs> did I, accent? I, I love that. 
So uh, <laughs> since we babbled and talked about Klaus Flora and everything and, and got into all that, just wasted a lot of your time, let's real quick, for people who don't know, I, apparently you're famous and stuff, uh, why don't we give a, can you give a, just a brief rundown of how all this came together? Your first book was what, 10 years ago already now, is it about? Yeah, our very first cookbook was called Looney Spoons, and we wrote that back in 1996, and because it was so different, uh, we combined recipes with humor and jokes and cartoons. It actually got rejected by all the publishers, so my sister Janet and I self-published that book out of our basement because we so passionately believed in it, and we ended up selling are you ready? 850,000 copies of that out of our little basement office. And it went on to become one of the best-selling books ever in Canada's history. It was just crazy what happened with that book. And, you know, people really, really seem to like it, and they cooked from it, and they told their friends, and they liked the recipes. They liked the silly recipe titles like Jurassic Pork and Yabba Dabba Stew because we were just trying to make people laugh while they were learning about healthy eating. So that seemed to be a winning formula. And that, that went on to a second book called Crazy Plates. And now our third book, was, which is called Eat, Shrink, and Be Merry, which is the favorite one uh, for, for both my sister and I. We like that one the most. And it's the same sort of thing. We figured everyone loves to eat and everyone loves to laugh. So why not combine those two things? And we're, our mission in the U.S., now that we're coming to the U.S., is just to help Americans to eat more healthily, even if we have to do it one stomach at a time. And, and to let Americans know that there are attractive women in Canada. <laughs> That's well, our mission, too. Yeah, I yeah. guess. Okay. We're not two of those attractive women, but I'm sure there are some. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes, yes, no, no, yes, you are, sure. Of course. Yes, yes, no, I mean, no. You wouldn't be doing TV on your site, you know? Let, let's face it, man. Well, there we have you. our own television show on the Food Network. In Canada has the Food Network as well, and so we have a television show also called Eat, Shrink, and Be Merry, and it's kind of like Extreme Makeover Recipe Edition, where we take people's <laughs> favorite comfort foods and give them a healthy twist, and we go head-to-head with people that are really uh, great at making high-fat comfort foods in a challenge. So we do a makeover of the recipe and then take both versions, the high fat version and the healthy version out into the street for a real live taste test. And people vote and they pick which one tastes better and it's extremely nerve-wracking, but the show has been a lot of fun to do and the feedback on it has been amazing. We were renewed for a second year and now we're already working on a third. That's for so the- what percentage what percentage of the time do you win that taste test? Um, well, our record is pretty good. Um, this is the second season that we've done the show, and we only had two losses out of 13 yeah. episodes. So a couple of ties, and the rest were wins. So, you know, we're, we're doing okay. And even when we lose, I think we've lost by one or two votes at the most. So, you know, it's pretty amazing some of the things we've gone up against. For example, when you're challenging a, a chicken wing restaurant and their famous deep fried honey garlic wings with blue cheese dip. Like that's a pretty tough makeover. Um, however, we smoked that restaurant. <laughs> I think we won 19 to 1 in the taste test. There were two sisters that we went up against that had this chicken wing empire, and boy, oh boy, we really cleaned their clocks. It was the sisters against the sisters. You plucked them good. We plucked them good. I feel terrible to say that because we, we didn't want to destroy them, but it was pretty bad. We always feel badly when we win. That must be the Canadian in us. Oh, God, that's Canadian. Right. Yeah, it must yeah. be. <laughs> so we All right. I'm so terribly sorry to have just beaten you to a bloody pulp. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. In hockey We have and the stuff. television show. We also have been writing monthly for Reader's Digest, and we have our own line of kitchen tools and gadgets like whisks and spatulas and this and that. And, and you have a blog. Uh, 
Pardon me? And you have a blog. We have a blog. We have a written blog and we have video blogs as well. So the video blogs are, you know, health and nutrition and cooking tips that we do in the kitchen and we're quite silly when we do them. And we have a written blog that really talks about everything. It's not just about food and recipes. In fact, today we had an argument on our blog about hairspray, whether it should be pump or aerosol. So you can tell It should be pumpasol. Everyone knows. <laughs> pumpasol. I'm going to use that. You may. You just go right ahead. You're just a bunch I, so I always consider it a, a success when the guest says, hey, I want to use that. Yeah. Sienna uses pump, and I use aerosol, and it's a big, long-standing argument we have. But now I'm using pumpasol. I love it. It's a blending of the two. Hey, let's talk about what's changed in, in those 10 years. As I understand it, historically, Greta was the cook going back to the Easy Bake Oven and all that, and, uh, and Janet was kind of the writer. But as you, as you guys got into this and then, and then started your own publishing company, you were so successful with the first book. And, um, but uh, you started researching, really getting into the health aspects of it, and, and yeah. as I understand, a lot of that's reflected in the new book. Yeah, and I went back to school, this is Janet talking, and I, I got a degree in holistic nutrition, and there was just so much information that I wanted to share with people, and it was the big low-carb fad craze, and everybody was so confused, and, and you know, Greta was finding that some of her friends were saying that they were going to, um, you know, switch to low-carb beer, and now they can drink 12 instead of 6 because it's healthy. And that's the kind of thing that we were getting from people, you know, or they, they took the apples right out of their kids' lunches because they didn't want to poison their kids with those, all those carbs. Like oh, my. The real things that people were saying at that time, and we thought, well, we've got to do something. So with Eat, Shrink, and Be Merry, we just try to clear up all the fads and myths and misconceptions and give people information along with amazing recipes. And, and it seems to really be working. We're getting great feedback from people who say that even their kids want to get in the kitchen and help them, and finicky husbands and lots of men seem to like the book. So, so it's far, been, so good. And it's been amazing. Like, we self-publish all of these books, and we now have an official office. We don't work out of our basement. But um, I'm disappointed. In total, <laughs> we're up to 1.8 million copies sold of our cookbooks. Wow. Um, and, I mean, in Canada, that's a gigantic number, but even in the U.S., that's a huge success in publishing. And um, it's it's kind of been beyond our wildest dreams, to be honest with you, because when we self-published the first book, it was literally out of desperation, not knowing what else to do when the publishers rejected it. But now we've kind of figured out the publishing business and people come to us for advice. And it's been really rewarding, but I guess the best part is probably the emails and the feedback we get from people because – you know, for some people, changing their eating, eating habits is a serious time, and maybe they had a heart attack or their doctor told them they have to eat better, and if we can make them laugh while they're doing it, then so much better. We yeah, have, you guys are really punny, man. Punny? <laughs> I was going to say, we even get some funny uh, feedback and emails, and I remember one fellow calling us, and he was an older gentleman. I would I would have pegged him in his 80s, and he said, you know, girls, I don't cook, and I don't think I ever will cook, but I bought your book to keep in the bathroom. I think it's so funny. <laughs> We're taking that as a compliment. We man, I don't know if I want to be paper. laughing uproariously while I'm sitting on the pot, you know? I mean, there's danger involved there. <laughs> Well, Janet just said, you know, we printed the book, the book on two-ply paper, and that's where all the fiber ends <laughs> anyway. So. I should mention, I'm, re- I'm looking at the book right now, and it really is attractive, and it's fun to look at. And, man, there's a lot going on. There's cartoons. There's really nice color photos. And there's, uh, I- I'd say your, your personalities come through quite well. And, and it sounds to me like that's the essence of it. You're giving, you're giving important 
healthful, up-to-date information and doing it in a in a fun and uh, palatable, no pun intended, manner. Exactly. And uh, that it's terrific. So congratulations you. on your success. Seems to me like you're kind of just ready to to break at that same level here in the U.S. Is that possible? Is that something well, you're interested in? That's definitely something that we're interested in. And, you know, a lot of Americans who have relatives in Canada or, or who have visited uh, have picked up our book or they, they've seen our TV show, and they're all saying to us, why can't we get your TV show? How do we get this cookbook? This is amazing. And and so we're going to do our best, and, and we're, we're doing lots of uh, touring around, and we're trying to place our television show on a big U.S. network. And, in fact, we had a meeting a couple of weeks ago in New York with the Arts and Entertainment Network. Oh, cool. We're talking to some others, and even Oprah is starting her own network next June called the Oprah Winfrey Network in partnership with Discovery. Uh, people always tell us that, you know, Oprah would love our story. Do you know Oprah? Come on, tell us. Is she your cousin or something? Do you know her? Um, <laughs> Sorry. Oh. Well, you know, I think she's only five degrees of separation from me. Oh, you never know. <laughs> Who would believe that? But, you know, we have been in the U.S. on QVC, on the big shopping network. We've been selling our cookbooks on there for 11 years now. And Americans always seem to gobble up the books, pun intended, of course. And uh, so we just need to spread the word. And, you know, Americans, just like Canadians, probably could use some help shrinking. So we think Eat, Sleep, and Marry is a good title. Just like, so polite, just like Canadians, as opposed to even <laughs> well, more than Canadians. You'll know you've broken through when you hear everyone starting to say against. <laughs> yeah. I, I may pick wrong. that up just because it's, it, it's just endearing. Oh, is it? You, you've been you. saying it the wrong way too long, Eric. I have been. I, I like I, being called endearing. Uh-oh. You do or you do not? I do. We've been called worse than that, that's for sure. Well, yeah, you know, endearing and, uh, uh, I mean, you know, you're not only endearing, but that's one of the things you're <laughs> So did you get a chance to go to our website? Have you seen our blog? And oh, yeah, yeah, it's a great website? site. It's you, got, you, are, you are bleeding edge, Internet savvy. <laughs> well, I'm taking that as a big compliment from you, for sure. <laughs> well, I'm sitting here. I'm having to put on band-aids and everything. It's a nightmare. I'm just all over. Yeah, I mean, I, that, I was looking at the video, and and um, again, part of the spurring of the you know thought that didn't realize that there were even two attractive women in Canada, and so you know, there all of that. Yeah, it's great. It's it's super. I mean, it, it's obviously there is a. Um, a retail aspect to it, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But it's it's your it's your brand right there. It's yeah, terrific. and we do that because we actually are doing a new business model that's really never been done before. We're not going to put our book into stores. We're only doing it over the web, and that's why we have to have sort of that retail front appearance to it. But uh, we're trying. Do people it. We're still buy it. books in stores? Seriously. We have sold our cookbooks in Canadian retail stores, and in the past, uh, our first two cookbooks in U.S. retail, but Eat, Shrink, and Be Merry is available only online on our website, and we're doing that um, because we can give people a way better deal than when it's through the bookstores. When you buy a copy on our website, we actually send you two, so you can help us to spread the word and give the gift of good health to your friends. And so it's kind of a neat model in that it's a buy one, get one free, but it's web-based uh, only. And the name oh, of their publishing company, this is hysterical, Granite, get it? Greta and Janet. 
Ooh, that was eerie. That was positively eerie. All right, so I, it's it's twenty nine ninety five Canadian. So what is that American? No, it's the same. It's twenty nine ninety five Canadian or U.S., but you get two books for that. Wow. Well, that is a great deal. It's a super deal because it's a it's a oversized book. And uh, you have the ladies on the cover, and you have the super cool graphics and, and funny cartoons. There's recipes inside. There's there are recipes. Oh, is that what it is when they? One hundred and fifty of them. Is that is that what that is? Where there's like numbers and. <laughs> so you're an avid uh, cook. I can tell. I cook up a storm. Do no, you? I I really I make grilled really? cheese. Well, then perhaps the, perhaps the site can... is uh, eatshrinkandbemerry.com. Yeah. And the book is also called Eat, Shrink, and Be Merry from Janet and Greta Pudleski. And as you've heard, you can only order it on the site. So, again, that is eatshrinkandbemerry.com. And you get two. You get and two. You get two for the price You're of gonna two. You're going to want one to give away to a friend. People always tell us it's the most stolen cookbook. They leave it on their coffee table. The friend comes <laughs> over and flips through it and walks out the door with it. So it's good to have the extra copy. Ah, there's your U.S. TV angle. There you go. Thank you very much for talking with us tonight. Thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Bye. Thank you. Good luck. Well, we have a couple of calls from New York on the line, and I'm not actually sure which one comes up next. So uh, we will see what happens. We will take a random guess, and we've got a 50% chance of being right. How's that? Well, in, in theory, uh, it's our Sin City person. Well, like I said, they're both from New York, so we'll see. Uh, this is VC Radio Live with Eric, Lisa, and me, Philip. Join us live each Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. Uh, actually, you know, I should check to see who's on the line. Uh, I bet it's Karen. Caller from 516, you're on the line? Hey. Yay. <laughs> Hello. Oh, my uh, God. Okay, is this... <laughs> is this oh, feeling okay. Jane? You got it right. All right. I'm going to go ahead and put you back on hold because, unfortunately, we're not ready for you yet. <laughs> if, you, if you guys want, you could call back in, in about uh, six, seven minutes. You don't have to stay on. And caller from 917, you're on the line. Hi, this is Karen. Karen. Oh, very good. Well, let me, let me run through a little intro then. I had a 50, oh. 50% chance. <laughs> yeah, you took a, you took a gamble. Well, Chicago's history was shaped perhaps uh, perhaps more than most people recognize by the Everly Sisters and their Everly Club, and author Karen Abbott has turned her eye on Chicago in the early 20th century and produced Sin in the Second City, a book that tells the many sordid tales surrounding that club. The website is Sin in the Second City, spelled out. Karen Abbott has set aside some time to talk with us, so uh, welcome again to the show. Thanks for having me. Congratulations, by the way, on the success of the book. Boy, it's really done super well. Oh, I hope so. Um, they were just such interesting women to uh, research and write about, so I hope uh, a lot of people just enjoy their story. Well, I, I mean, it's it's pretty remarkable because this was your first book, right? Yeah, well, it's the first published. You know, I have one tucked away in the drawer that, that um, thankfully will probably be in there. But, um, yeah, it's the first I published. count those, too. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess um, yeah, that that one will um, safely remain away. But this is it was sort of a dark horse uh, for Random House, you know. So I was sort of I was, I was surprised it did as well as it did, and and uh, you know, 
excited about it. But um, there, there, it was a fascinating period of American history, and I thought it, it would be a shame if it couldn't be resurrected and, and people couldn't really, um, you know, learn about it in some more detail. Now, you, you being in New York, how did you hook up with Chicago as your subject matter? Well, it, it was a personal story. I was actually living in Atlanta at the time. I'm from Philly, but I was living in Atlanta at the time. And um, my great-grandmother, there, there was a story that was passed through my family. Uh, my great-grandmother and her sister immigrated to the United States from Slovenia in 1905. Um, and one weekend, they, they lived in Pittsburgh, but one weekend the sister took a trip to Chicago and was never heard from again. Um, so I was always sort of intrigued and haunted by this bit of family lore, and I began doing research about not only about Chicago but other major American cities at the time period, and all I heard about were these stories of, of disappearing girls. You know, they would show up from their rural hometowns or they would just um, come off the train and never be heard from again. And um, it was it was quite a terrifying thing, and and uh, made me wonder what had happened to my relative, but led me to the Everly Sisters instead in their uh, their house of ill repute. Well, yes, it it was. Although it was quite a refined house of ill repute, was it not? Uh, yes, it was the most famous and luxurious brothel, as they like to claim in the world. And I, I think it was probably true. Um, they had a, quite a, an impressive roster of of clientele. Uh, Theodore Dreiser was there every night, pretty much. I, I hear he was he was very good friends with them, and he was there all the time. Um, the poet Edgar Lee Masters was there quite a bit. Um, the boxer Jack Johnson showed up. The actor John Barrymore. Um, even visiting royalty, uh, a guy named Prince Henry of Prussia came over in 1902, and uh, the Everly Sisters threw quite a party for him. <laughs> I, I bet they did. And speaking of which, as you're, as, you're, as you're telling the tale there, I'm looking at your really terrific site. Boy, what an entertaining site. So we need to send people there, www.sininthesecondcity.com. Dot com. I, I assume it's flash-based because we're seeing uh, uh, what, what appears to be a newspaper front, an, an old-fashioned oh, yeah. newspaper front page. And then uh, the, the, many of the people you just mentioned, pictures of them are, are flashing in the center there. It's very cool, a really nice job on the site. Oh, thanks. Yeah, there are so many interesting characters in the book. Real, you know, It's one of the reasons I included a lot of photographs in the book. The club was so opulent and luxurious and over the top in its in its decorations that I, I not to adjust it. So I wanted to put as many pictures in there as possible. So what I mean, what what was the original uh, you know impetus of I mean, how, how did these sisters come to to put this this uh, luxurious house of ill repute together and uh, uh, you know what what was its relationship with the city? I, I imagine it was tenuous, um, uh, although. Uh, I, <laughs> Uh, although intimate as well, intimate but tenuous. I don't know. Is that a, a reasonable <laughs> yeah. characterization? I think so. Well, the sisters in the book, I call them a 19th-century amalgamation of Martha Stewart and Madonna, um, which is true. They they were perfectionists, number one, and number two, they were very adept at reinventing themselves and recreating themselves and sort of um, making up their history as they went along. And they were also very, you know, savvy businesswomen. These are two of America's first female entrepreneurs. Um, and they did extensive market research um, before they opened up this brothel. Uh, they visited red light districts all across the country um, in every major city and talked to the foremost madams and, you know, took a look around and saw what might work for them and what wouldn't. And, and they settled on Chicago. Um, and they decided that they were going to change the industry of prostitution. They were going to elevate the industry. It was um, – 
you know, a necessary evil in their minds. It was going to happen whether or not it was officially sanctioned. So why not run it as respectably and honorably as possible? And and where other madams mistreated their girls and whipped them and took all of their money and forced them to work even if they were physically ill, um, the Everly sisters, you know, treated their girls as valuable investments and dressed them in, in couture gowns and fed them gourmet food and um, even tutored them in the poetry of Longfellow and Balzac and made sure they could discuss the politics of the day. So they really revolutionized the industry. Well, it certainly made sense. I mean, they're investing. You know, I'm sure they saw returns. Were they were they getting higher fees and higher rates and and uh, higher rate of return than than other houses? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, the Everly Sisters sort of pioneered the idea of exclusivity. And the harder you know you get into a place, the more people try to do so. Um, they had a very very uh, strict set of rules for people who wanted to get into the Everly Club. Um, if a man spent less than $50, he was asked never to return. Uh, you can imagine what kind of steep entrance fee that was in 1900. Um, oh, my. That's amazing. Yeah. If, um, if, a man, if they weren't familiar with a man's name, he must come with a letter of referral, um, that sort of thing. And, and they had you know, just the strict requirements for the girls. Um, the girls were not to drink to excess or do any drugs. Um, they had to have a certain weight requirement. Um, they weren't allowed to have any evidence of, of abuse. Um, and, and Minna, you know, gave them these lectures and, and advice. Uh, one of the things she told them was, um, one $50 client is preferable to five $10 ones, less wear and tear. <laughs> Your body <laughs> will thank me when you age. Um, so she, you know, um, she had requirements on both sides there. Interesting. That's amazing. What's the time frame? What, what was the uh, duration? They operated from 1900 to 1911. Um, so it's it's sort of right after the Victorian era and right into the Progressive era when when um, things were rapidly changing. You know, America was undergoing this major identity crisis, and they sort of got caught in the middle of that. Yeah. Well, that's a period. Uh, so they were before prohibition. Yes, yes, but but the the prohibition forces were gunning already. I mean, everybody was gearing up for that, and and the country was moving in that direction. Um, so so this was, you know, one of the things that prohibition overshadowed. You know, it was a piece of history that sort of got swept under the rug. This big nationwide um, movement to close red light districts across the country, and the whole white slavery phenomenon that that was a catalyst for that. Did you ever find out what happened to your uh, relative? Who'd you say it was? Um, it was my great grandmother's sister, and it's funny you ask that. Once, once I found the Everly sisters, this sounds horrible, but I forgot it all about my relative, and I <laughs> didn't care anymore. Um, but I got after the book was published, I got an um, an email from somebody, and it you know began, "Dear Karen, I am not a stalker," uh, which you always love when emails begin like that. Oh yeah. <laughs> but he said, "Because um, stalkers was, never say that." <laughs> no, well, this guy he he wasn't a stalker, fortunately, but he. Um, he said that he had found my great-grandmother, record of her in Ellis Island Records, and also found another woman with her surname um, and found them in Pittsburgh and then lost track of them. Um, so it seems that the woman, he did find the woman's name at least, which my great-grandmother never even repeated. Um, but he said once he tried to follow them to Chicago, he lost the trail, which makes sense. You know, they were poor immigrants. Um, she was a poor immigrant. She didn't speak any English. You know, probably didn't have a penny on her. If something had happened to her, um, she wouldn't exactly have been high on the uh, Chicago Police Department's priority list. So, hmm. Interesting. So what was the legality of the house? Well, they, officially prostitution was illegal, but it was understood that it, it just happened as long as um, all of the brothels were kept in the quote-unquote segregated vice districts. 
And in the progressive era, segregation didn't much refer to race as a device. And the thinking, you know, all through the Victorian age was that if you kept all of these people in this one quarantined area, all of these prostitutes and the pimps and the johns and the drug dealers and et cetera, um, that it would be less likely to seep into the quote-unquote respectable neighborhoods and affect respectable women and respectable society. Um, and so that was the thinking. And, and during the pro, uh, progressive era, it was the first time that anyone bothered to challenge that. Um, and the way that these men that I write about in the book, the way they challenge that, you know, is the thing that caused the culture war. You know, these men effectively changed American history with their tales of white slavery, um, you know, which was the idea that your sister, your daughter, your niece, your neighbor was going to be drugged, raped, abducted, sold to a brothel and never be heard from again. And, uh, you know, this terrified the country. It was sort of, you know, progressive era terror alerts. It was, it was a national phenomenon. Well, I, I wouldn't be happy about it, that's for sure. It, it would give me pause. <laughs> wow. No, not, not a fun thing. Well, I think one of the questions maybe suggested by your book is how much today are we being you know, led astray perhaps or sometimes manipulated by, by trumped-up stories from uh, you know, politicians. Uh, what is it? How, you described it as madams, ministers, and playboys on the cover, but basically people who are... Uh, you know, basically trying to trump things up, exaggerate things, or, or looking through a, a lens that maybe has more personal investment for them than they, they let on. Yeah, it was one of the um, more interesting things about my research, just discovering these themes that keep resonating throughout American history, one of them being the cyclical nature of religious fundamentalism, um, which, you know, is reports about the history, and we had a resurgence of that. Um, you know, the other and we're still just debating what to do about that, you know, the idea of legislating morality, the role of religion and government, um, and the ways the government can harness these ideas and sort of create mass blocks of either fear or just to sway groups of people to achieve their own ends. Um, you know, and, and, and it was one of the uh, things that, that I really thought was, was uncanny, that, that um, these uh, American ideals never really change. Um, once the white slave scare started dying down and people began backtracking away from that, um, as World War One approached, um, one of the I think it was New York Times opined um, that it was these stories were um, uh, just ways to satisfy the American sense of news. You know, lurid stories to satisfy the American sense of news, which I thought was kind of a, a prescient thing to say. Right. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time, so I will say again, the book is called Sin in the Second City. Uh, I usually, I've started to drop the subtitles because they take so long, but this one, this one's good. Uh, Sin in the Second City, Madams, Ministers, Playboys, and the Battle for America's Soul. Uh, it's written by Karen Abbott, with whom we've been speaking, and the website is sininthesecondcity.com, all spelled out. Thank you very much for spending time with us, Karen. Uh, really enjoyed me. it, Karen. Great book. Uh, thanks so much. You are listening to BC Radio Live, a weekly live radio show from BC Magazine at blogcritics.org. I'm your announcer, Philip, and my hosts tonight are Lisa and Eric. Yo. Stealing Jane, whom we heard from just a moment ago, uh, has combined a few different genres of music to create what they call groove rock, and uh, we'll start with an example. This is a sample of Outside.
is outside from Stealing Jane's EP, Say Something. The website is stealingjane.com, and we've got a few members of the band on the line with us now. Welcome to BC Radio Live. Hey. Hey, you. How are you? Hey, sorry about the mix-up with the, with the authors there. You know how that goes oh, with those, those no author people. That's quite all right. <laughs> authors are important people. Oh, heck yes. So who do we have? Who's on the line? And what do you play? I'm Matt. Well, I'm Matt. I'm the guitarist. Cool. I'm Bryce. I'm the lead singer. And I'm Jesse. I play keys. It, so it's three of you? Yep. Yeah, the three of us. I can count. You know, it's pretty good. Uh, we should also mention the the MySpace site, which has a lot going on. And I want to talk about your, your underground series. I think that's a great idea. That's something that more and more bands are doing, especially when they have a strong live following. It's www.myspace.com slash Stealing Jane. Where are you guys from? Long Island, New York. And uh, I, I really like the well. I love that song. First of all, outside, I think that's that, that's a, it's really a great tune. Uh, it, you're a really interesting combo. Obviously, you can hear the ska influence there, but the guitar is pretty pretty tough, pretty heavy, pretty pretty aggro. It's a it's an interesting combination of styles. How how did how did all of that come together? Eight people. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, different people eight, with eight or nine ideas. Yeah. Well, how do you write? I mean, do you write as a group, or does someone uh, write and bring it well, to the group? Or, how's that work? Yeah, actually, for you know the basic song, um, I'll write uh, lyrics and a chord structure, kind of a deal, and bring it to bring it to the band on an acoustic guitar. Um, and this is Bryce speaking, by the way. <laughs> and um, yeah, so and then the whole band will pick it apart. We'll write our you know. Uh, edit, edits and changes and you know it's a completely different song by the time it comes out but uh, that's pretty much how we go about it do you do you uh, looks like you play quite a bit live I'm seeing a, a number of dates going on do, do the songs uh, mutate uh, you know as you play them live or are they pretty well set by the yeah, time they, you they definitely, they definitely do when it comes out of the basement you know it's it's definitely one way and, it, and it's it's funny you know you think you you go through you know all the different you know improvisations and things that you can add to a song in the basement, and then it comes out, and so many more things will come to you when there's people in front of you, you know? Right. Sure. Well, so it's just it's always different when there's a, when there's a real audience, and you're, you're dealing with real people there. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, exactly. That's, that's uh, our entire goal as a band, is really just to get out and play as much as we can, you know? I mean, all the work that we do outside is just to play more, because that's, you know, what we love about it. All right. Well, let's mention some of the dates coming up. Again, uh, I'm, I'm just looking at the MySpace page. I'm sure I'm sure there's a list on the uh, on your other site as well. Yeah. But uh, but on the MySpace.com/slash/StealingJane site, we have uh, let's see. Oh, we got a private party in Nashua. Whoa. Well, that'll be fun. Can I go? Yes, you're coming. <laughs> oh no, you already had that. Wait, I can't. No, that's, that's, that's tomorrow. Tomorrow. Ooh, it's a midweek affair. <laughs> so how did that come together? A, a friend of yours or college people or what's what's that about? You know, we're really not in charge of that. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, no, well actually, had, you know, it actually did come about. Um, we played at a venue called Set, the Set Cafe up in uh, New Hampshire in Plattstown. And um, we had started gaining quite a, like, a bit of a following there. And um, at some point, um, one of the girls who was a fan there, um, had us play their high school, and that was like Nashua High School, and um, eventually, um, 
from playing the National High School, we gained quite a bit of fans from that high school, and that built up the Sad Cafe and so on and so forth. And the um, the show coming up is just um, a private party hired by one of our fans from Nashua. Cool. Well, that's uh, you know that's got to be gratifying that people want to people want you to show up that badly. You know yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah, a, absolutely. And it's not too we far. I mean, I, how do you guys travel? You have a bus or van? Van or trailer? We have a short bus. <laughs> so are there eight people in a van? All, all eight of us, sometimes uh, with, with a roadie, we all pack into our, our van and drive away. And uh, and, so, and hopefully most of the time we, we all come back, you know? And, and get to know each other even better on the way. Yeah. Oh, Become yeah. familiar with each other's smells. <laughs> no, I can imagine actually. All right, so is this a tour? Do I see? I'm I'm seeing a lot of dates in a row here. Uh, the 22nd, 23rd, 24th. Tour coming up with the scenic. Ah. Looks like an East Coast upper upper East Coast tour that yep. takes you through uh, into well into September. So, how long have you guys been together? Ah, uh, well, that's a good question. Well, actually, I think. Um, the best way to answer this is we um, we got together, uh, we started playing together, five of us started playing together um, when we were seniors in high school, which is about uh, six or seven years ago. And uh, the band went through some um, different stages where we were playing covers, we were playing uh, strictly ska music, we were playing um, different, different sounding music, and uh, we were under a different name at the time. And eventually, um, when we settled into a, a sound that we... Um, we're happy with. We came out with uh, the you know the album Say Something or the EP Say Something, and that's when we decided to change the name. And um, at the time, um, we thought that Stealing Jane would be a very appropriate name because it was um, a takeoff of Room Five album Songs About Jane, which had like a huge influence on us and was uh, one album I think that we all agreed on at the time <laughs> and we wanted to shoot for that um, the one album that level. Yeah. So that was the groove. Yeah, that's the groove right there. That's where we got the. Uh, <laughs> that's the groove, and and the rock I think comes from bands like uh, the Arch Bandits and uh, Foo Fighters. Maroon Fighters, yeah. Hey, how do you like their latest, the the new Maroon Five? Um, I think as, as a whole, we're not we're not all um, impressed with it as much as we yeah. were with the last album. There's not universal acclaim. <laughs> No, there was absolutely ah. universal acclaim on the first one. Yeah. And the second one has has its ups and downs. It's not overall it's I would say not as strong right yeah. maybe, but it's I mean it's, there's still a lot going on there that you can take from, you know. Still have some great hits off of it, of course. Yeah, yeah. there's absolutely some great hits on it. So so that one's more the hits of the hits and the rest is more filler whereas the first one you really you really That's what songs about Jane was to us is just every they could have wrote that album longer than they even did. You know, it just every song could have been, could have been a radio hit. You know, right? Yeah. Boy, it was real. Mar- it was a real marketing triumph too. You know, it was really a slow build and it was grassroots and um, that was kind of a portent of things to come. You know, they were a little ahead yeah. of their time with the with the real grassroots build because it took forever. Yeah. Remember, it was climbing the charts for months and weeks and years. Absolutely. Yeah, we were. Uh, we were covering Harder to Breathe like early when it came out, and 
remember there was a couple of months there where people kept saying, I love that new song you guys wrote. And we're like, we didn't write that one. We stole it, hence the name. It started to really break and everybody started, it felt good when people started realizing it wasn't our song, you know. I'm like, finally this band's getting what they deserve, you know. Um, okay, well that, I was going to ask where the name comes from, so you've explained that. Let's talk about this underground series thing. I think that's a cool idea, and, and doing only 20 copies a show sure, certainly keeps it exclusive. Yeah, that's kind of the idea of the whole thing. Um, we want we want people to, uh, you know, when you limit something, people are more likely to want to get it, you know, right away. Um, and obviously that gives them less time to think about it. But, you know, that's the marketing of it. But the the whole idea behind the Underground series is um, really, I don't know if you've ever been to an Allen Brothers concert. Like, after the Allen Brothers concert, they sell the CD right afterwards. And there's, like, huge lines to go buy it. And um, all of us, uh, a few of us actually went to went to one a few years ago and, and all bought the uh, album right afterwards. And we had thought of the idea, you know, thought, thought it was a cool idea, but... We didn't really have the technology yet uh, to, to put out something that was decent. And also, um, we weren't the band, you know, we weren't a good enough band yet to, to be able to put out a live album every show. Because that's, you know, that's kind of nerve-wracking every show. Is kinda God, it sure is, documenting every mistake, you know. Exactly. So so we finally felt we were at a decent enough level where uh, we could put out the show uh, after we play. And, um so far, we've had a good response from it, and we've sold quite a bit after every show, um, and people are loving it. And, you know, it's cool for us, too. You know, it's definitely a cool thing to just keep being able to put out, uh, you know, songs that aren't on our record yet, um, and, and just new stuff. Different, it, it challenges us a lot. We have to play uh, songs differently than we, you know, we can't just play the same uh, version of it over and over again. So it gives us some, uh, something to think about every time. How many shows have you done that on now? Um, I believe we started uh, it was the last Webster Theater show we played with. Um, who, who, who was the last uh, Webster show we played, guys? Hello? 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 <laughs> hey. Oh, all right. Yeah, I thought I thought you were asking one of the other guys something. Uh, no, no, I was asking, I was asking uh, Bryce. Bryce, what was the last Webster Theater show we played? Yeah. Uh, was I think it was it was in August. It was probably August first, I believe. Tantric, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, We've played. We've done four shows. Uh, in the uh, underground series so far. Oh, okay. All right. Well, there's the answer. There you go. Uh, Philip, do you have any more tunes? Uh, no. Unfortunately, we've only got the one. I I will say that uh, I I'm a big fan of the video that's linked from the MySpace. I I, I love. Uh, I have this image of a. Uh, uh, before I watched the video, I thought, wow, eight members in the band. That, that's got to be a crowded video. Then I click on the video, and the first thing I see is all eight of you in the end zone of a football field. And it, it just made it made perfect sense. How else yeah, right. do you get all of you guys on screen at once? Absolutely. The only, the only thing you'd think we'd be good at is, like, you know, playing football or having a baseball team or something. You'd think there'd be way too many of us to, to play music. <laughs> it's great that we play Ultimate Frisbee together. It's awesome. We have four on four. It's perfect. Yeah. I am a huge Ultimate Frisbee fan. Oh, good to hear. So are we. Are we. <laughs> Love it. Do you guys play Frisbee golf, too? Uh, we haven't made it there yet. <laughs> it's so oh, no, that, that's a lot of fun. I'm not very good at Ultimate. It has a Frisbee golf course. 
And every time we, I, you know, I try to get the troops together and I try to get us there early. And we're always there early, but not early enough for a full game of Frisbee golf, you know? <laughs> well, it's so weird because you got to use those different Frisbees, those weird flat things. It just doesn't feel very manly, you know, because they're kind of oh, flaccid. I think that's a bunch of hooey. I think if you're going to use different Frisbees, then uh, <laughs> I don't know. At that, that point, someone may be taking me. themselves too seriously. Yeah, yeah exactly. uh, that's my thinking, you know. If I if I can't grab that plastic thing, you know, and and uh, I know you have like a driver and like a, a putt, like a short game frisbee, but I mean, how many different really? Yeah. Well, of course, I say that about golf, so I'm probably not the guy to talk to. But anyway, yes, totally, totally digging your ultimate participation. I think you should you should feature that in your next video, a little ultimate action. Yeah, actually, we uh, we didn't have anything to do really with the uh, concept of that video, and you know, if we had had more, it probably would have been Ultimate Frisbee. But uh, <laughs> Guy Manly Movies um, contacted us, and um, basically, we went along for the ride with it, and we're real happy with how it came out. Super. Yeah, it looks like it looks like a lot of fun. So just yeah, uh, to to revisit the list, uh, I don't think we actually ran through where you guys are going to be touring. You're going to be on tour with the Phoenix through. Uh, uh, New York, Vermont, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, Massachusetts. You're going to be in Pennsylvania at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hartford, Connecticut, Lisa. Uh, Hartford, yes, uh, beginning of September. That's yeah. actually uh, We're going to be playing with Eve Six at Webster Theater. Not right. the Eve Six. Is Eve Six back, or do they never go away? Um, well, I don't think they went away. They've been they've been doing it over on the West Coast for a while, and. Uh, they, now they're coming back to show the East Coast some love. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, Webster Theater, September 5th. Yeah, it is, yeah. Yep. I remember playing them uh, on the radio in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> I remember listening to them in the 90s. <laughs> so, what, so, what, so what is, Philip, this continued discussion leads me to believe that we do not have our final author waiting in the wings. You are correct. Uh, okay. Very, very clever. Uh, what What is the NACA here that you guys are playing in November? Is this... Uh, Political convention? It's actually a a music, uh, well, not actually, it's for colleges. Um, It's an organization for uh, entertainers, like whether it be musicians or magicians or uh, people that juggle chainsaws. (laughs) Uh, That's 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 not even a joke, that's for real. Um, (laughs) Everyone goes to uh, one convention, and and all the colleges go to seek out talent to bring to their college, and uh, we're, we're a part of that, and we get hired to play different colleges. That's how we get on college tours and whatnot. That is an excellent place to be. I used to I, I booked oh, yeah. uh, some of the shows when I, when I was in college back in the Pleistocene age, and uh, yeah. I mean we we had that even then. And uh, yeah, it's a really great uh, catch-all way to get a, see a bunch of you know really good talent in one place at one time. And and uh, that yeah. were you asked to do that? Because that's that's a that's a great gig to get. Uh, well, actually, what happens is you subscribe to be a, a part of the organization. Um, and last year, we um, we were offered um, a spot with it um, through a friend, uh, Keith Simon. He asked if we wanted to, to do it with him. So we did, and it, it proved to be uh, an excellent thing for us. Um, we got on tons of college shows, and it was a great success. So we decided that we should do it again this year. And hence, National Association for Campus Activities. That's a new one on me. 
Oh yeah, that's that's big. That's been going on for a while. Hey, is the is the EP uh, does it exist physically or is it or is it just digital, just on iTunes and whatnot? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah you can get a physical copy of it. Um, it's on stealingjane.com. Um, baby. Uh, com, or you can get it at a live show. And there's there's other there's other websites as well. There's a bunch of uh, interactive websites that we can, you can get it through. But but the main one to go to is stealingjane.com or cdbaby. Cool. How long's that been out? Uh, actually, it was a, a year anniversary the other day. I think it was the 12th or the 11th, maybe? The 11th. Oh, Are you working on a new one? Yeah, exactly a year ago. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Have you been recording? We're, it's coming up. We're, we've been uh, working on a new song, actually. Um, and we're super excited. We probably, we're shooting for November, um, maybe January. Somewhere in between November and January, we hope to start recording again. Will that be a full-length one? Now, how do you guys uh, reconcile writing with being on the road? It seems like a lot of bands aren't really able to do a lot of writing when they're on the road, and, and some some can. What, where do you guys fit in? It's difficult for us. Um, we've tried it a couple of times, but uh, there's a lot of stuff going on when we're on the road, and uh, we try to we try to get out. Um, and hang out with the fans as much as possible at shows. You know, we try to be personable and available to our fan base as much as we can. So when we do get to the hotel or whatever, you know, wherever we're staying at that night, we're all usually pretty exhausted. And uh, songwriting is, although it's high on the priority list, it's it's usually just something we can't pull together by that time, you know. And we hit the hay and get up the next day and drive on. And... Uh, so a lot of times we we can't write on the road. We'll we'll write only at home. So we'll take you know a few days off um, from you know traveling to to write a song or whatever. Well, that certainly makes sense. I I can I can see that. You you, you write the songs at home, but you you develop them um, out in front of audiences. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, now it looks like uh, you, you have an active street team situation or street teams what how does that work how many do you have where are they et cetera, et cetera. we have um, approximately 200 to 250 street team members um, wow. they are located mostly all over the the east coast um specifically in the northeast uh we also have street team members in england scotland brazil we have all over the country, you know, we have Australia, yeah. Um, we have some Canadian. There's some Canadian too, and uh, and it's really incredible. It's such an asset to us to have that. I mean, our our Brazilian street team member, she is designing a full fan uh, full fan website um, for us that she wants to get started in Brazil. And while she plays volleyball, like are, are pretty incredible. There's, uh, there's there's one in Switzerland that put um, the video for Outside on a Swiss version of YouTube kind of deal. Uh huh. It's, it's views shot up over you know over 500 to 1,000 in the first couple of days, and it's got more views on that one than it's in the American right now. <laughs> it's like wow. Well, that's that's got to be really gratifying to have people who are that into it, you know, who want to really dedicate themselves to to helping you guys out. Uh, 
it obviously indicates you're touching people. And Absolutely. I mean that metaphorically, of course. <laughs> we we stay away from that. Because <laughs> yeah. you're adults now. All right. Well, uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, we got a few more minutes left in the show. I'm, I'm actually quite glad that uh, we, we always have four segments, so people only get about 15 minutes. And, of course, you guys probably heard me at the beginning of the show, so I was blabbing for five minutes, so that knocks out five there. So it's actually better when we get down to three segments rather than four because we can stretch out a little bit more and, and get to know people a little better and have more of a conversation. So... So I think that worked out just fine. We will certainly be looking forward to the new recording. And uh, best wishes on this tour. And uh, had a lot of fun talking to you guys. Thank you so much. Well, the website is stealingjane.com or myspace.com slash stealingjane. And the band is called Stealing Jane. Uh, look for them on tour. And thanks for calling in uh, twice after we had our little mishap. Oh, no problem. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you, guys. Have a good night, guys. You too. Well, thanks again to Matt, Bryce, and Jesse, and also to Karen Abbott and to Janet and Greta Podleski for talking with us earlier in the show. And as always, big thanks to Lisa and Eric for hosting the show, especially uh, when I'm absent as I was last week. Uh, you guys rock. I'm Philip Wynn, and this has been BC Radio Live. We do broadcast live every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. So be sure to visit us live to participate in the chat room, watch the live video feed. There's all sorts of weird things involving macrame. I, I don't know what that's all about. If you missed the live broadcast, audio archives are available online. Or you can subscribe to the podcast at BC Radio Live. Until next week, aloha. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.